The Bucket Plan On Demand series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach on advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. Hello and welcome to this month's podcast of the Bucket Plan On Demand with your hosts, Dave Allison and Jason Smith. We appreciate everyone joining us today and we've got a great topic to talk about. We're going to be talking about really understanding clients' net worth in a tool called an asset sheet questionnaire to be able to help identify opportunities when reviewing and looking at your client's net worth. So Jason, you know, you've been using this tool and this concept of an asset sheet for a long, long time over at the JL Smith Group. Give us kind of the high level. Give us the three main opportunities that this helps bring about for advisors and their clients. Sure. Thanks, Dave. So, you know, originally when this document was created, the purpose of it was to create a finalized asset sheet, basically like a one-page balance sheet for a client. So most of my clients through the years and even still now, it's not the business owners, it's not the high net worth, it's more of the mass affluent, kind of that middle class, middle class millionaire, and they've never really had a balance sheet created for them. So a balance sheet can get pretty complicated, right? You gotta know how to read one. So we wanted to simplify it, and basically just be a listing of all the assets that they have. And, you know, I actually remember the first time that I created one of these and it was, it was pretty amazing because I was early in my career and actually at that time I was still, I uh, had a Medicare supplement book of business. So I'm going way back <laughs> and I was out there doing an annual review and the woman, her husband had, had passed away. Her husband had passed away and she was kind of lost and really a little bit frozen still by it. And it had been a number of months, I wanna say like three or four months now. And so she opened up to me and had told me, and this is back in the you know mid to late nineties, right? And she had told me, you know, her husband handled all the affairs. She really didn't know what they had, what was going on. And she was very kind of confused and didn't know what to do. And so I told her, listen, let's just get everything organized. Let's open all the everything that you haven't opened up. When's the last time, you know, you've looked at everything. She's like, honestly, Jason, I've been getting all these statements and everything. And it's been like three months. I haven't, you know, now three, four months. She hadn't opened any of it. She literally hadn't opened any of the uh, statements that came in, all paper statements at this point. And so... I went to Office Max. I got a three-ring binder. I came back with a notepad, and I literally started just we together. She, I remember she went and got a garbage bag full of statements, <laughs> dumped it on the middle of the table, and I'm like, "What did I commit myself to?" No kidding. Took all the rest of that day, and then I came back the next day, and you know, I asked her like, what, what, "If you had a ballpark, what do you think there is here?" She's like, "Oh, my husband." you know, did a great job of saving money. I bet you we have a couple few hundred thousand dollars. Well, they ended up at like 1.2 million bucks. And right now, you know, that's a nice size client. Back then that was like, whoa, you didn't run into a lot of those 20 years ago. And so we ended up organizing everything and I did it kind of on a notepad as I went through 
And then I started after that, I'm like, wow, this is a great opportunity to uncover assets to kind of, you know, organize all their affairs. And so the evolution started to create a template to make it easier because eventually then I hire staff, they're, you know, they're building it into a nice finalized deliverable. I wanted to streamline the process. So then at that point, we turned it into a template called the asset sheet questionnaire that would basically capture all of that data that I could just hand over to my assistant and then she could put it into the template and the computer to create a nice deliverable that would be client facing. So that, that was actually the evolution of how it originally started. And then we've noticed that, as you've alluded to, Dave, a couple other benefits that have really come out of going through this process of kind of organizing all their information and capturing it into one place to show them, you know, and give them clarity as to what they have. A lot of people, they know they have all these accounts. They've never seen a grand total of what they have. They've never really looked at their debt and their liability and all all that onto one page. So it just gives them so much clarity and, and confidence into their own financial situation by seeing that all in one place. Well, we, we both certainly know that people will pay a fee if you bring them clarity. And I remember the first time I kind of encountered this, you know, going back about 10 years ago when I started meeting with clients and, and you showed me what you were doing with the asset sheet questionnaire and you know, kind of being a, a somewhat newer advisor at the time, you know that, hey, you can ask them where the money's held at TD or Fidelity or Schwab and ask them how much money's in there. But to have a systematic process of some of the better thought-provoking questions or just documentation that we should be doing to clients, like understanding who the beneficiaries are, what the beneficiary designations are, how the accounts are titled, and if they're titled to avoid probate, just some of these things that help bring a lot of clarity and education to the client around what they have is fantastic. And I want you to talk on that in a minute, but I, I wanted to, show, you know, the first time that I did this with a client, I remember it like it was yesterday. She was 78 years old and a single female. She came into the office and it was kind of a similar situation. Now, it wasn't a garbage bag full of stuff, but she had this manila envelope, one of those kind of uh, confidential packages, right, with all these statements stuffed into it. And I had the same, a similar experience. She dumps them onto the table. We go through, we build the asset sheet, uh, fill out the questionnaire, and produce a one-page deliverable that was her net worth statement. I remember her sitting back in her chair, her eyebrow raises, and she looks at me and she said, wow, I, I didn't realize I had that much. And I think that that's one of the benefits is that when people are getting four or five different statements in the mail in a silo, they know they have this money, they know they have these accounts, but when they can see the entire picture in one place, their home, their real estate, their assets, their liabilities, their debt, and we'll talk about the difference between liabilities and debt in a little bit as well. It's just a very eye-opening experience for a lot of individuals who maybe aren't that meticulously organized in the first place. Yeah. And so it turns that whole kind of meeting into a positive. They can take kind of a, a deep breath and, and know that they are financially sound as they approach retirement. Right. There's a feeling of organization that happens. You know, and, and what I, and as you know, I mean, that's, that was a big part of the evolution of the family estate organizer, too. This the three ring binder, you know, turned into, 
you know, and coupled with the asset sheet questionnaire, you know, the asset sheet questionnaire we use to inventory and document everything to get it over to the assistant to create a nice one page deliverable and summary of everything they have. But that family estate organizer turned her into its own standalone, you know, awesome value proposition of everything of importance all being in one central place, you know, for that client. So, so those two are great, like one, two punch. But you know what also happened is, you know, I, it's probably 15 years now, I should look it up, but I studied for and, and took the examination. I was actually the only financial advisor in the, in the group. And it was like a four day class that we had to go through. It was all attorneys and me as a financial advisor, but it's put out by the uh, National Institute of Certified Estate Planners. And so a certified estate planning, you know, designation, a CEP. And so when I went through that, one of the things they stressed, and it made me feel good because it was part of what I was already doing, is the importance of being very vigilant of like beneficiary designation reviews and asset titling, mostly like for the attorneys when they're doing trust, but just the importance of if you're going to do a trust, help people avoid probate, right? And if that's the service as an attorney, you're putting yourself out there to do, you know, or as a certified estate planner, even in the financial services industry, like we are, you know, you better deliver on what you say you're going to be doing, right? And so it became even more clear to me, and it was an evolution as the asset sheet questionnaire is, this is a great place that we can make sure that we dot all the I's and we cross the T's, even accounts that aren't with us, right? Accounts at the bank or 401ks we don't manage, et cetera. Like, let's make sure that we review all the different beneficiary designations. Let's make sure that per stirpes per capita was put on there. And I mean, Dave, you well know what per stirpes per capita is, but explain it to everybody, anybody who doesn't. Yeah, well, understand. actually, I'll, I'll explain it in a story as well, because this just happened to me about five weeks ago. I was meeting with a prospect for the first time who uh, came in. They were looking for some retirement planning help and uh, took them through the process. And I got to the point, you know, and in the asset sheet questionnaire, we do talk about, you know, documenting whether beneficiary designations are set up on a per stirpes or per capita basis. But I knew this prospect had grandchildren and they had shared to me in the discovery process how important these grandchildren were because the husband was actually raised by his grandmother and grandfather. And they just felt like this sense of obligation to the grandkids because their grandparents raised them. And so I asked him, I said, are you familiar with per stirpes and per capita beneficiary designations? And, and he said, no, what's that? And I said, well, let me ask you a simple question. His name was Merzad. Merzad and Cynthia had two children. And one of the children had two grandchildren. The other child had no grandchildren. And I simply said, if God forbid your child who has the grandchildren were to predecease you, how would you want the inheritance to be split up? Would you want 100% of the inheritance to go to your surviving child, or would you want him to get his 50% of the share, and then the 50% of the share that your deceased child would have got goes to the grandchildren to help take care of them? And he was like, 
I've never even thought about that before. I, I guess I figured it would just go to my grandchildren. And I was like, well, is that your intention? Is that what you would want? And he said, absolutely, that's what we want. And I said, well, there's a difference between per stirpes and per capita on your beneficiary designations. You see, per stirpes would ensure that it followed the bloodline, meaning your grandchildren would get that inheritance. But per capita would actually default to 100% of that inheritance going to your surviving child. And he was like, oh my gosh, I would never want that. And I said, yeah, it could accidentally disinherit your grandchildren. And he was like, I can't believe that's even a thing. He was like, we have a trust set up though. And in our trust, it specifies how the assets should flow. And I said, well, almost all of your money, and we showed this on his asset sheet, his net worth statement, I mean, a million of his 1.5 million of liquid investable assets was where? In IRAs. Well, guess what? The IRAs were set up with the children as 50-50 contingent beneficiaries after his spouse. So that IRA would have never even hit the trust, right? right? Beneficiary designations trump the trust. I Absolutely. mean, basically, in simplest terms, if you're talking to a client, they don't realize that. It never flows through the trust. Never flow. You got to fund yeah. the trust. I mean, if it's the, the yeah. trust isn't listed as the beneficiary, I said, how's the money get in there? And he said, I don't know. He was yeah. like, why didn't my attorney tell me this? And <laughs> right. I was just like, I don't know why he didn't, but it's so common how it happens. And I said, actually, by default in a lot of states, the default is per capita versus per stirpes. And he was like, well, how do I make sure mine? And that's what we did as we went through the asset sheet yes. questionnaire. We called and fixed it. But it's such an impactful conversation if you have that with your prospects and clients to differentiate. See, yourself. so many other advisors just aren't looking for this stuff. And when you are detailed, you know, when you, you pay attention to the details, which is what I love about this tool, the asset sheet questionnaire, you know, when you go above and beyond and do something nobody else has ever done, right? Like creating an asset sheet, you know, a, a little mini one page balance sheet for them. And now it gives you that while you're doing that, why not just make the phone calls, make sure the beneficiary designations are set up correctly, make sure the asset titling is set up correctly so you can have happen what your client intends to happen. I mean, it's gonna pay back you back tenfold for the investment of time in the referrals and just the good work that you're doing that's gonna end up favor end up favorable for the client and the new business that you're gonna win. Because their current advisors probably not paying attention, not talking to them about per stirpes and per capita and looking at all their other accounts to make sure everything's set up properly. Most advisors are only paying attention to what they have under management. Even then, they're not going to the extra step of per stirpes per capita. Per stirpes and, and per capita, I believe uh, it, per stirpes is uh, by the branch, which is like a Latin term. That's where that comes from. So let's recap. So one, we have what the asset sheet questionnaire does is gives you the ability to streamline the process of creating a finalized asset sheet for the client. Get your admin involved, you know, so you don't forget anything. Be more thorough, more efficient. It's more scalable, repeatable, duplicatable by utilizing this document. Number two you're gathering all the beneficiary designation information, asset titling, all those details um, in order to provide 
you know, a, a better experience. Really avoiding probate is huge, right? And they call it a poor man's trust. I've heard it for years. Mm -hmm. It's like opposed to doing a trust, you can go through there and in many states, you can set up transfer on death, payable on death, make sure beneficiary designations are all structured properly and, and get that a similar result for the client as you would with the trust. Well, in that beneficiary designation review, it's, it's the little things that go a long way to differentiate yourself. I had a prospect uh, two years ago who was still working. They had a sizable 401k, almost $700,000. And I didn't have any opportunity to manage this because they're still working. They're younger. They can't take in service distributions or anything quite yet. Yeah. But when I called Vanguard, and checked the beneficiary on that, guess what happened? Hmm. There was no beneficiary. Wow. Their spouse was not listed as the beneficiary. Somehow something happened with the plan, paperwork got lost or wow. changed or something, because yeah. normally he told me, no, my wife's the beneficiary in that, we got it set up. Vanguard came on speakerphone with that client and said, we don't have a beneficiary on this account. You know, Think about the difference that that makes for that family and the okay. trust that they then place in you. I can't tell you how many times in doing these, you know, for however many years, 15 plus 20 years that I've been doing these things to this level of detail of going on all the beneficiary designations for all the accounts. It's rare you don't find a mistake or rare. something that didn't get done right, which just builds the trust and credibility with the client, which is huge, you know, as you're, because at the end of the day, this is part of the courting process to earn the business for them to move the money over to you or take your advice on the implementation, you know, of the solutions that you may be recommending to them. So Jason, we all know, you know, a net worth statement, if you kind of look at the, you know, financial planning 101 basics of a net worth statement, you have assets and then, you know, you have debt generally and that creates your net worth, right? And so talk to me a little bit about how you explain the difference between debt and liability and some of the biggest liabilities that your clients don't know they have. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, this one, I'm going to give credit, no doubt, to a friend of mine, many people have heard of, Ed Slot. And so I've been in his group, the uh, Elite IRA Advisor Group, Master Elite. So it just means I'm old, you know, that I've been in it for a while. But um, I actually recently had like our 10 year of, right, of how long I've been in the group, like a year ago. So uh, it's been a little while. But I remember very distinctly when he was on stage and, you know, he does great terminology of, you know, IRA money is like a tax time bomb that eventually is going to go off on you or your spouse or your family. You got to defuse that tax time bomb. It's tax infested money. You know, I just love the terminology and, you know, you're in a partnership with the federal government, all these concepts that I've heard him introduce through the years that I've used a lot of that terminology to explain to clients. But I remember when he was up there and he was talking about the fact that, you know, like he was working with a client because he's got his own tax practice and talking to him about some Roth conversion planning, I believe it was. And so he was telling a story about how he had asked the client, he said, you know, you have this, you know, million dollar IRA and, you know, in essence, what do you think that money's worth? And the client's like, oh, well, a million dollars. And like, Ed, of course, comes back. He's like, no, that's not worth a million dollars because you're in a partnership. 
you don't own that money. You're in a partnership with the federal government and they own a big percentage of that money. He usually uses like 40% uh, whenever he's given his example. So a good 40% of that money, and that can be pretty conservative depending on who you're talking to and what state they're in. But 40% of that money, you don't own that money. That's a liability, right? And so that struck with me all of a sudden. I'm like, ah, oh, liability. And so I looked at the asset sheet questionnaire. Actually, as soon as Ed got off stage, I went up to him. I told him all about the asset sheet questionnaire. And I told him how near the end of it, we ask about debt, but we don't ask about liabilities. And I, gave, and I threw the idea out at him. I'm like, what if we add a separate section that asks about liabilities and it would be income tax liability on that tax invested money, on that pre-tax IRA, 401k money that you're in a partnership with the federal government on. What if we list that as a liability? He's like, that's an amazing idea. So I started doing that. We built it into the asset sheet questionnaire and it, it reminds you, it systematizes the conversation, it reminds you as the advisor, after you have that debt conversation of if they have any debt, mortgage or cars or whatever, whatever it be, then the next thing is liabilities. Then you ask about the liabilities. And so what was cool about it is, you know, just probably this is maybe a year and a half ago, but you know, I'm, I'm working with this guy and uh, husband and wife, actually, Bill and Sandy. So Bill is one of these very proud, he's an older gentleman, very conservative, very proud of the fact that he has no debt. And, you know, he never will buy anything until he's paid for it, until he's got the money to pay for it. Other than a mortgage, it's the only debt he's ever had. And he's paid off his mortgage, doesn't believe in debt. Even, you know, then start talking about his son-in-law and how they go on all these vacations and spend all this money and live beyond their means. He doesn't agree with it and blah, blah, blah. And so he's one of these guys. So I get to the debt section. He's like, well, you know, I don't have any debt. You know, this is when he told me about that. Then I go into liabilities. Well, Bill had an $800,000 between IRA and 401k money. There was about an 800 grand between him and Sandy. So I say, Bill, I said, you have $800,000 of IRA money, as we talked about, you know, this money, you know, there's a certain portion of it that's going to go to Uncle Sam. And so let's just say, and I understand you don't have any debt, but let me ask you about liabilities. Do you know what liabilities are? He's like, and I start to explain, he's like, well, what do you mean? I start to explain before I could even get a few words out of my mouth. He's like, that kind of sounds like debt. I told you I have no debt. I'm like, no, Bill. See, what I want you to understand is let's say, let's use an example. Let's say, Bill, that you decide that you want to cash in a portion of this IRA and you want to buy a vacation home down in Florida and you don't want a mortgage, right? You just want to pay it off and you want to buy a vacation home down there. So let's say you pull $500,000 out of this uh, 401k and you want to buy a vacation home down in Florida. How much do you think you would owe in, owe in income tax on that $500,000? And he just kind of sits there. <laughs> and uh, and um, he's like, well, I don't know, a lot. And I said, all right, well, if you had to pick a number or a percentage, what percentage do you think you would owe to the government if you cash that in? And he's like knowing where I'm going. He starts kind of getting low and comfortable. And he's like, I don't know, maybe 30%. I'm like, okay, what's 30% of $500,000? He's like, $150,000. Well, Bill, that's your liability on that portion. 
So you have $800,000. What's 30% of $800,000? $240,000. So that's your liability, Bill. See, you owe that to the federal government. And you're in a partnership with the federal government. And what's the only way that you can get yourself out of a partnership? All of a sudden, Sandy jumps in and she's like, hey, I saw this Lifetime movie where these two brothers were in a partnership and the one brother killed the other brother to get out of the partnership. And then Bill's like, hey, we're in a partnership. And then, you know, and they, and they start laughing and, um, you know, it got light. But then all of a sudden, Bill comes back after a moment. He's like, all right. He's like, I get it. He's like. I guess I got to buy them out, right? Exactly. You got to buy them out. And my job is to show you the most tax efficient way that you can buy yourself out of that partnership with the federal government. And there's programs where for pennies on the dollar, you know, if you can qualify for it, you can actually buy yourself out of that partnership for much more uh, tax efficient and cost effective ways to do that. And so just plant the seed. What are we talking about? Talking about life insurance. Yeah, exactly. And so, and that was something we were able to circle back in a future meeting and put a life insurance plan in place. And I'll give a little tidbit for those of you who do, you know, life insurance or want to do more of that around the concept of buying out the liability. Uh, Ed Slot's got a book called The Retirement Savings Time Bomb and How to Diffuse It. So what I do is I tell people, read the introduction chapter, read the Roth it chapter, and read the insure it chapter. And so it talks about the importance of like combination of Roth conversions and buying life insurance to buy the government out of those IRAs and 401k monies. Absolutely. It's such a great talking point to start the conversation for Roth conversion planning and how that could impact their overall wealth, what they're able to leave for their, not only their surviving spouse, but also their, their children or grandchildren. So, so we've talked about a number of different important components of the asset sheet questionnaire the beneficiary review, the asset titling, income tax liability, but talk a little bit about how you use the asset sheet in your annual review process with your clients. So once they go ahead and hire you, what does that asset sheet bring to the table in your annual review process? Listen, if you're a, if you're a registered rep and you're associated with FINRA, you have a different set of rules in regards to consolidated statements and you may need to use account aggregation software to accomplish something that you can do in the SEC rule because I'm an IAR of an RIA, so I don't have that FINRA association where there's, they're, they're a lot more uh, stringent on consolidated statements and having everything to back it up. So enough with the compliance stuff, but anyways, what, what I do is every year, and it's so beneficial to see this, because you can go back year after year when you do the annual reviews, is I can see a snapshot of where they were a year ago, where they were two years ago, where they were three years ago. And I can see trends. I can see trends of how accounts are doing. I can see trends of uh, how they're, if they're accumulating money in checking and savings or the amounts are going down. And so there's all kinds of benefits to seeing that and being able to see, you know, year after year. So each year as I do an annual review, I print out the most recent asset sheet and I sit down with the client and literally in the column off to the right side, I just put the date at the top of the sheet and then I just kind of 
write out what the new balances are to compare last year's balance, you know, what it was a year ago to where it is right now. And I go line by line, every checking, every savings, any money market, every IRA, every 401k, every annuity, everything that they have, we just update it one by one. And, and what I really like about that too, is it makes it about the account balances, not about the percentage number of performance, right? Because I mean, so many people get caught up in this average rate of return and everything else. And in reality, when, especially as you start to get into retirement more than ever, I mean, it's really all about account balances. It's not about your average rate of return. So I think too often advisors get caught up in doing, you know, quarterly reviews or even whatever, however often you do the reviews and they're showing a percentage rate of how the account performs. Well, now you're trapping yourself into that potential commoditization because they're going to compare you. Oh, how'd the S&P 500 do? How'd the Dow do? How did this account do versus this account? Versus you just do account balances. That's what really matters anyway. And that's part of the annual review process that we go through is updating that asset sheet each year. Absolutely. It really kind of helps decommoditize yourself. I mean, we all know the performance world. There's always somebody, you know, if you're measuring based on quarterly performance and that's how your clients are measuring you, there's always going to be somebody out there that promises higher performance. But shifting that conversation to the progress we're making on their asset sheet, their personal balance sheet can make all the difference in the world. So just to kind of shore up things here, if you want to dive into more information on the asset sheet questionnaire, we do have a white paper available through the bucket plan on demand. So we highly recommend download that white paper. You can take a look at some additional concepts of how to put that asset sheet questionnaire in play in your business. We also will have our monthly webinar on the asset sheet questionnaire. So if you want to go through and see a visual of the template, the document that we're using and some of the key areas, we highly recommend you go and watch that webinar through the bucket plan on demand as well. We appreciate again your time joining us in this month's podcast, and we look forward to seeing you on next month's bucket plan on demand. Thanks. The Bucket Plan On Demand series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach on advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com.